The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Tiger Woods is back. Big Cat's making his first PGA Tour start since February. He's doing it this weekend at the Memorial Tournament. So the First Cut Golf Podcast has you covered... Two stack preview pods. Those are already in the feed. And then there's going to be, of course, round by round recap podcasts as Tiger searches for a career win number 83. You can find the first cut on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to enjoy your podcasts. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Wednesday, July 15, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black matt norlander is here with me and we have relevant recruiting news in the sport of college basketball musa cisse a five-star prospect originally in the class of 2021 but now in the class of 2020 announced this afternoon that he is committed to the university of memphis he picked penny hardaway's tigers over offers from georgetown georgia florida state lsu and kentucky for those unfamiliar I guess you can on some level call him a, quote, local product because he did spend the past year at Lausanne Collegiate School, which is seven miles from the Memphis campus. But he's not really a local product. He was born in West Africa, moved to New York in 2015, played at St. Benedict's Prep in New Jersey, played at Christ the King in New York, then relocated to Memphis and played at Lausanne this past season, led the links to a state title, won Mr. Basketball in the state of Tennessee, averaged 18.4 points. 15.3 rebounds, and a ridiculous 9.2 blocks per game. And now, if we have a college basketball season, he says he'll play for the Memphis Tigers. Norlander, break it down. What do you make of Penny Hardaway landing a five-star center in two straight recruiting classes? Last time, it was James Wiseman. This time, Musa Sise. Break it down. Oh, yeah. Here's what I got a question for you. I mean, here's here's what Gary Parrish's tweet on Wednesday afternoon. Breaking all caps, of course. This was an all caps breaking, by the way. I don't, sure. I, I don't, I don't. You know what? Expected to go to Memphis. I don't know if all caps was warranted there. Can you take me inside the thought process versus not? You know, you know, regular grammar versus going all caps in that moment, please. Young Musa Cisse follows exactly ten people on Twitter. I am one of them, okay. and so I wanted to make sure he he saw how much emphasis I put on his commitment. How do I just know that? Two, four, six years from now, if and when Musa Cisse is uh, able to earn a consistent uh, NBA paycheck and perhaps is even uh, a player of, of importance in the NBA, uh, Gary Parrish will never, ever, ever forget or forget to remind people that uh, there was one point in time and Musa Cisse followed 10 people on Twitter and he was one of them. Um, yeah, I, I, I honestly don't even understand it because like, he used to follow a lot of people on Twitter, I, I noticed. And one of them was not me. And then suddenly he cut almost everybody, but 
added me. I don't really even know the connection there, but um, it, it's uh, I want I knew he'd see the tweet. And once I knew he'd see the tweet, I wanted him to I wanted him to experience an all caps tweet. Obviously, as as faithful podcast listeners well know, uh, also one Musa Cisse uh, was was tutored by your own son. So I think that might <laughs> that might also be an influence. Parrish working behind the scenes to get it done for Memphis. Uh, you got to admire it. Actually, ironically enough, this happening in a week where Parrish is not on his local radio show. The conspiracy only strengthens. OK, so here's what here's my question for you. Mm-hmm. You say the six eleven likely one and done talent averaged eighteen point four points, fifteen point three rebounds, and nine point two blocks last season. He picked Memphis over FSU, Georgetown, uh, Tom Crean's uh, Georgia Bulldogs, Kentucky, and LSU. My question is, uh, who the hell is this guy playing against? Nine point two blocks a game. What? I, I have not. I have. Well, it's private school basketball in the state of Tennessee. So. Dunk it over people who look like my uh, oldest son in some <laughs> cases, like just blocking the shot one after another. Like, I don't know. I've never been to a Lausanne basketball game, and I've never even actually met Musa Sisse, although it is true my son and Musa uh, were classmates, and my son did tutor him in, in, in certain classes. I, uh, I don't even know if Musa Sisse knows that my son hmm. is his classmate. I mean, I, he might, but I, I don't know that. I, I've never – I've never even had a real conversation about Musa with my son other than, so what kind of young man is he? And Aiden was like, really nice, really, you know, like a really nice guy. Like, you know, doesn't walk around like some big time basketball player. I, and the only other times I would talk to my son about Musa is like, hey, did you see that dunk that was on Instagram last night or something like that? Uh, because like, Fans are crazy. And at one point, the two schools involved in the Memphis, in the Musa Cisse recruitment most heavily were Memphis and Kentucky. And I'm like, it, it doesn't matter what happens. I will, somebody connected to one of those fan bases will blame me for it. If Musa Cisse goes to Memphis, it'll, Kentucky fans will think it'd be because I pushed him to Memphis somehow through my son. And if he goes to Kentucky, Memphis fans will be like, ah, see, Parrish hates his alma mater. So I was like, I'm not even getting involved. Like the only time my son had ever been asked about Musa Cisse's recruitment that I witnessed was one of my friends recently asked him when they were over at the house. And my son's answer was, he always talked about Georgetown, but I don't think he's going to go to Georgetown. And that was the extent of it. <laughs> so, so he was right. Maybe my son's got a future in being a recruiting analyst. He was right. Inside information there. Um, and, and this comes on the – by the way, a little double dose of, of Memphis basketball-related news here. I mean, also, Mike Miller, former Tigers assistant, up and taken a varsity head coaching job at, at Houston High School, which is – I got to admit I wasn't tapped into that situation. But uh, but good for him, and that's, that's pretty awesome uh, for Mike Miller to do that. He left the program uh, earlier in the spring, and, and now Memphis uh, – it adds a player for next season while losing an assistant from last season there. Real quick on Cissé, I haven't seen a ton of him. I have watched uh, some film, and I have talked to uh, – film is actually putting it way too heavily there because it's not – You've watched highlights on YouTube. I've seen highlights on YouTube, exactly. You know, like, right. let's – let's come on. Let's keep ourselves grounded. I haven't studied film on Musa Cissé. Uh, athletic, long, definitely – I'll say this – he looks like he has the potential to step into college basketball. 
uh, mandatory if we have a season. But he looks like he can step into the sport and be a top 10 defensive player next season. Like, I know 9.2 blocks is, an, is just a ridiculous number against a highly inferior competition. But even if that translates to a third of the productivity, that could still be the case there. So, a fantastic defender. Uh, looks to be a pretty solid rim runner. Uh, from what I gather, he's still offensively raw. In fact, I would... I would push back. This is just a couple like sniffing around in terms of his skill and how it translates. Not a surefire one and dunner. Offensively has a lot of room to g grow and go with all that, but he's got a little bit of a jump shot there. Um, certainly a great offensive rebounder and has a good motor to him. I will be interested to see if he next season – see, pre here, real quick, and then I'll throw it back to you. James Wiseman comes and you got the whole disaster, right? Wiseman looked awesome for three games. He's gone. Who knows, like, how much better he would have been or if – who knows? But Precious Achua was a five-star prospect who went to Memphis, was going to be second banana, and instead Wiseman leaves. Achua steps up his game and becomes uh, – a verifiable top five freshman in America last season. Now, he's not the same kind of player as Cissé, but I will be interested to see if for a second straight season, Penny Hardaway and his staff can get a projected potential one-and-done. Like, Achua wasn't a for-sure one-and-done kind of kid, and then he becomes that if he can be that next season. But I have to emphasize that the two players are very different in terms of their skill sets and styles. Nonetheless, the headline, Memphis lands in a big-time prospect uh, big man for the second straight season, and in doing so, keeps the Tigers relevant because now you can make a case, and I think that you did do this, you can make a case that Memphis actually has a top 25 caliber roster with him in the fold for next season. I did put them 25th in the top 25 and one. I would That means I would have them projected to finish second behind Calvin Sampson's Houston Cougars, but obviously talented enough to compete at the top of the AAC. When you add Cissé to a roster with sophomores, which is so much, uh, so important, you know, that to, you know, having sophomores instead of freshmen that you are heavily relying on, especially when they're not one and done freshmen, like uh, Duke has one and done freshmen, you know, multiple of them every year. Same thing at Kentucky. Those are the freshmen you win big with once James Wiseman quit the team. And then DJ Jeffrey suffered a season ending knee injury. Like Memphis was really relying on, you know, top 60 freshmen, to, to stay in contention for the NCAA tournament. That's just hard to do. As I pointed out last season, in real time, you know, if you can find me a college basketball team that lost two of its top three scores from its opening night roster before February 1st and stay good, like send me, send me, send me a link to that team. I, I could not find one. And so Memphis' season went the other direction. But now – Boogie Ellis is a sophomore. Lester Quinones is a sophomore. DJ Jeffries is a sophomore. Those three guys are now former top 60 high school prospects, four-star recruits who are non-freshmen. And you put a possible one-and-done talent next to them in the middle. Um, I, I think you've got a, yeah, borderline top 25 team. Like if, if somebody doesn't have them ranked, I'm not going to scream that they should, but I think it's totally reasonable to have them in the top 25. And your uh, breakdown of Cissé's game is is accurate. He is a an incredible presence on the defensive end of the court, which might be scary for the AAC because you know Memphis was this got a little lost in all the other stuff. They finished fifth in adjusted defensive efficiency last season. They were a really good defensive team, and basically all of those players are back except for Precious Achua, who was good defensively, but not necessarily the reason they were top five. And Tyler Harris, of course, transferred, but like he was a defensive liability because he's so small. You add maybe you know, the best rim protector in college basketball to that team. And that is what 
you know, Jonathan Gavoni, for whatever it's worth, told me Musa Cisse will be in college basketball next season. You've got a team that, um, yeah, I think can compete to make the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2014, which is kind of, you know, impossible to believe that Memphis hasn't been to the tournament since 2014. Obviously. Obviously, the other big aspect of this, and there's no reason to dance around it, is that you mentioned the James Wiseman thing becoming a disaster. Uh, There have been people who have compared this situation to the James Wiseman situation because it is similar in some ways. This is the way. Uh, Like James Wiseman, Musa Cisse randomly uh, and surprisingly moved from outside of the Memphis market to the Memphis market before his junior year of high school. Oh, boy. committed to the University of Memphis. With Wiseman, it was from Nashville to Memphis. With Cissé, it's from New York City to Memphis. And um, the the Wiseman thing did become a big issue because it was um, discovered that Penny Hardaway paid the moving expenses for the family. Um, You know, there's no indication that's what happened here. But I guess I'd say this. The NCAA is going to ask a lot of questions. As long as Musa and the people around him have good answers to these questions, should be fine. And you would think, you know, like, first off, I can tell you the people around him are pretty smart people. And I can get more into those people here in a minute. But like they are they got to be smart enough to know that if you become the next five star center to move to Memphis and then enroll at Memphis, they're going to ask a lot like you are re- you're, you are draping yourself in a red flag. You just wouldn't do it if you didn't have all these questions answered. I don't think so. Uh, the people I've talked to around the program think it'll be a non-issue that he will ultimately be cleared for freshman eligibility. But if I'm being honest, I understand why other fans of other schools and, and even some coaches would raise their eyebrows at this, because again, in that specific way, it is similar to the Wiseman situation. What were you going to mention about the people around him? What were you teasing there? Well, his, this is the part that I would um, think if I were the NCAA, I would, I would be interested in. Um, his Mississippi's legal guardian is a man named William Anderson, who I've known for 20 years, maybe longer. Okay, he hold is- on. All right, so that immediate. First of all, how do, how have you known Mississippi's legal guardian? First of all, you're all over this recruitment. Okay, you got your son <laughs> helping him with the coursework. Now you've known his legal guardian since you were practically out of college. Explain yourself. Okay, so William Anderson is the head coach at Lemoyne Owen College, which is a Division II school located six miles from the Memphis campus. And so William has been in basketball circles in Memphis for a long time. And for people who aren't from here or, or don't like understand the inner workings of, of Memphis basketball, it is, a, it is a very big, small town. That's the way I would describe Memphis. I mean, it's a big enough city to have an NBA franchise, but like it's one of those cities where all the rich people know each other. Like if you know somebody who's wealthy in Memphis, they know everybody else who's wealthy in Memphis. They're in the same circles. And basketball is the same way. Like all of the AAU coaches know all of the boosters, know all like everybody is connected one way or another. And so like William Anderson was a figure in basketball in Memphis. So I've been covering basketball in Memphis for 20 years. So I've known William forever. He is Musa Cisse's legal guardian. Now the question the NCAA will want to know, the obvious ones are, okay, uh, why did you move to Memphis? And the reason stated publicly is to get academics in order. That's why they enrolled him at 
you know, one of the best private schools in Tennessee, the best private school in Memphis. Okay, that passes the smell test, I guess. But like, who who paid for the move? How'd you get here? Who paid your tuition? Like, these are things they're going to have to be able to show we're done with the NCAA rules. The interesting thing, and I don't know, you know, I don't know how you break this stuff down, but William Anderson and Penny Hardaway, like, if I've known William Anderson for 20 years, so has Penny Hardaway. Now, William Anderson has known Musa Sise since he was in eighth grade. So that might be a quote unquote pre existing relationship. That's fine. Maybe. But, but here, here's the one that just sort of jumped out. I, and I haven't seen Maybe. anybody else make this point. Memphis plays Lemoyne Owen annually in an exhibition game every October, November inside FedEx Forum. Now they pay Lemoyne Owen to come play that game. Now Lemoyne Owen's head coach is the legal guardian of a prospect who just committed to the University of Memphis. So is the NCAA going to come in and say, how much do you pay Lemoyne Owen? Like, you know, Mm. did you threaten to not play that game if this didn't get done? Is Lemoyne Owen's contract going to get doubled because this did get done? Like, I'm not suggesting any of that. I just know that these are the types of things that the NCAA is going to ask about. And again, I cannot stress this enough. Um, the, the people around Musa, he say, understand. They understand the scrutiny that would come with him enrolling at Memphis under these circumstances. And my understanding is they are prepared to answer all of these questions and they feel confident it won't be an issue. But as always... We'll see. I don't pretend to know. Only other thought I have on this whole thing was, you know, Cisse, I guess, was initially expected to announce, geez, more than a month ago. And then I believe he came out and said, listen, you, you know, with where our country is at right now, I'm just not comfortable doing this. This isn't the most important thing. I'm going to wait. And this was really in the first couple of weeks after the murder of George Floyd. And at that time, my radar scanned as though people were leaning that he was going to go to LSU and then in the past couple of weeks that perception changed whether or not Musa Cisse ever was leaning more to play for Will Wade than Penny Hardaway I cannot give you an answer on that people that are closer to the recruitment like the co-host of this podcast certainly could give you an answer maybe but uh, but that is one other element as you're talking about all this GP um, and you consider what is still awaiting LSU it's just something else and we're not here to you know I'm by no means here to to throw a wet blanket on a fantastic commitment for Memphis, but it will be interesting in the coming weeks and months to see uh, if everything can be proven to be on the up and up with all of this, and that if Memphis can essentially dodge any kind of issue here, because what would what would really create something of a stain on a fledgling head coaching career for Penny Hardaway is if in consecutive years he had prized recruits run into eligibility issues. It's just not the it's the kind of thing where even if you get into the nitty gritty of some of it, you can understand why it can be a nuisance, but a reasonable nuisance. It's still the kind of thing that can affect you recruiting down the road inevitably, as you can understand why with negative recruiting. So I actually think that CSA having a, a fairly seamless transition to get into Memphis reclassification and to get and to get cleared is important to Penny Hardaway in the near term for the next one or two recruiting classes. There's no question because if CSA has eligibility problems or NCAA issues, suddenly other coaches were going to be like, "Yo, you can't go to Memphis." Every time they enroll a five-star center, it becomes a problem. Like you just need to set, the NCAA is waiting on them to get somebody like you, and then you're going to be dealing with a lot of stuff you don't want to deal with. So I agree, it's important that this this one goes uh, smoothly for whatever it's worth. I had Brian Snow, who obviously is a recruiting analyst, long time on my radio show, maybe last week, week before. And I asked him, you know, to your point, 
Um, everybody seemed to think that he Musa Cisse was headed to LSU. Do you believe that he was leaning toward LSU two weeks ago? And Brian said, yes. And I said, okay, what changed? And he said, I don't ask those types of questions. <laughs> I, I, he, he said, I don't ask why something changed. I just ask, where is the player going? That's all I need to know for my, for my job. And I said, uh, point taken. But, um, and like, listen, I'm, I'm never going to be naive about this stuff. So I won't even pretend to know exactly what happened. But I do think that Memphis benefited from two things. Uh, the, the pandemic and, and local pickup games, mm. if, if that makes any sense. Because the pandemic obviously has everybody, nobody can travel. Like Musa Cisse never been to LSU's campus. Couldn't go there to visit. Couldn't be around that coaching staff. Meantime, you know what he could do? He could play pickup in a local gym every day with DJ Jeffries, with Malcolm Dandridge, with Alex Lomax, with Damian Baugh. Meantime, guess who else is in those games? Future Rookie of the Year, John Moran. So what must it be like for a young person when you are hooping every day with Memphis players? You're surrounded by almost nothing but Memphis fans who are telling you every day to go to Memphis. John Morant is both privately and publicly encouraging you to go to Memphis, saying things like, I'm going to run FedEx Forum at the NBA level. You're going to run FedEx Forum Mm -hmm. at the college level. And in the meantime, you can't go to LSU and visit. You can't go to anywhere else and visit. I really do think it just becomes much easier to stay where you're at. So, again – I'm not saying that's the only thing that happened, but I do think that that those circumstances had to have helped Memphis in the recruitment of Musa Sisa. Understood. All right. Well, we'll keep tabs on the story, but if anything uh, winds up happening down the road, this podcast told you first. Meantime, in other five-star prospect news, Jonathan Kaminga is reportedly skipping college, joining the G League program. We'll get into that next, but first, check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. So in other five-star prospect news, Jonathan Kaminga is reportedly skipping college, joining the G League program. That is according to a report from our buddy Adam Zagoria. So Norlander, I think most people have assumed this is the direction this was headed um, for a little while now, but at least according to Zags, it's now um, done, done, done. Kaminga skipping college, just the latest elite recruit to choose to do that. What are your thoughts on it? 
Not surprised. I mean, I went on HQ, CBS Sports HQ, on Wednesday morning and talked about where I thought Musa Cisse would land. I said Memphis, and I got asked about where I thought Jonathan Kaminga would land. And I did say the G League Pathway Program was my expected outcome there. And per Zagoria's report, we're recording this Wednesday night, by the way, uh, well past the dinner hour. And Kaminga is scheduled to make his announcement on Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, so if you are getting to this after that, this is what we are going on the report there. And Goodness, I hope that Kaminga sticks uh, to what this report is here, um, for Adam's sake, if nothing else. But yeah, this has been certainly the scuttlebutt for a while, and in doing so, if in fact this is what Kaminga winds up doing, this means the Pathway Program can actually field a starting five, GP. Trivia time! Okay. Can you name the other four? We're, okay. We're, this is a new thing, so can you name the other four? And inform our listenership, remind them in the process. It will be... If Zags is correct, then I have no reason to doubt him. Jonathan Kaminga, Jalen Green, yep. Dacia Nix, yep. Isaiah Todd, yep. and oh, is it is it is it Kenyon Martin Jr. or something? <laughs> Yes, I believe that's the fifth. If there's someone else, then I miss it. But in my understanding, and I don't have it up in front of me, but when I was um, going over it earlier, that was the four that I had. Yes, I believe that's the okay. that, that thing. How about that? I got a trivia time, and I didn't cheat at all. There we go. Well, that's perhaps saying that perhaps you've done so in the past. No cheating. Well, I don't cheat, is, but I will call things up to like that's maybe, true. maybe you old, know, yeah. Jog like the old I'll, noggin, yeah. Right, so, but I didn't do that at all. I didn't call anything up. I'm just looking at your face. There we go. So, and by the way, a um, little teaser, like this podcast is eventually going to video eventually, and we could not, I'm going to get a haircut long before then. I'm going, I, I have, I'm more than four months without a haircut. You couldn't be balder. I couldn't be shaggier. It's a total dichotomy situation going on here. Um, Dude, I, I, if I would have known the advantages of being bald, like, uh, listen, I, I, I think it, I'm ugly. Like, I, so I wish I, if I could fix that, I would. But I think I've reached the point where I'm ugly even with hair. Like, it doesn't matter anymore. Like, I'm, I'm just a disaster anyway. And, and, and so, like, that, you'll get that text message. Hey, can you jump on CBS Sports HQ? In a different life, I'd have to say, well, I've got to take a shower, fix my hair. Yeah. Now it's just like, yeah, I'm ready to go. This is the way I look all the time. Yeah, no, I got to I got to Well, yeah, there are some... I might even have an old photo. You know what? I think I do. It's in our text chain for sure. Of you at... <laughs> oh, my goodness. The photo, the video of you eating at a barbecue joint with Derrick Rose. I think the, the summer before he got to Memphis is just... The side-by-side -side would be just incredible. Um, I might have to find that for the teaser. Dude, uh, please don't find that. That, that is the most oh. awkward. Dude. First off, I <laughs> no, it's amazing. It's amazing. Dude, listen, Derek Rose is a was was a nice young man. Had nothing to say, and it's not because he's trying to be a jerk. He's yes. just quiet. He's he's not as quiet anymore. But like at 18 years old. He had nothing to say. And I'm sitting in a restaurant with other customers. We got a whole camera crew in there. It's like we're doing um, <laughs> a, a, a red table talk in the middle of a barbecue joint. And mm. you ask a question, and he's got nothing to say. And then you ask another question, he's got nothing to say. And keep in mind, I was also, like, not used to being on camera. The whole thing's a disaster. The, the, hair, the hair, though, the hair situation, man. <laughs> Amazing. Um, what were we talking Oh, yeah, Kaminga. Listen. 
In doing this, by the way, comes the long-anticipated reclassification. Cissé did it, jumped up to 2020, Kaminga as well. So he is eligible to be drafted in 2021. And listen, by not going to college, that means most likely Texas Tech misses out. And because of that, Texas Tech uh, with him would have been in the national title conversation. I don't think you can fairly put the Red Raiders there now. Um, But it is another highly talented player. Kaminga... I like Jalen Green more, but you can make the argument that Kaminga is now the most talented player to do this and go to the Pathway program. So in getting a fifth player, uh, you can certainly say there is traction on that idea. There have been plenty of others who have still said, no, it's not for me. But um, again, there's still so much to learn from all of this with the Pathway program and whether or not like there's going to be a season, how the how that whole operation is even going to work if we wind up having a particularly brutal fall and winter in general. Um, but you know what? If you're Kaminga, you're highly rated. You will be in the. You will probably be in the conversation for the number one pick. My kind of my last thought on this because we'll talk about Kaminga plenty. I'm sure going forward in the months to come. But if you're Kaminga slash Jalen Green, and we don't have a college season, or we have a highly reduced one, and then you just wind up going and training, and you're completely off the map, yes, you can make the argument. I don't know if it's ultimately beneficial to your first or second or third year in the NBA, but if you're looking about getting drafted first, second, or third, and you're just off the map, and you think that's going to be enough where you can just thrive in a workout situation and keep your stock high, then obviously I can understand why, if you're Jonathan Kaminga, this is why you want to do this. You eliminate risk. Some general managers and scouts actually find it potentially less appealing if you're not willing to take that challenge, but some don't. And so that might be an ultimate uh, destination for Kaminga. If you told me that he was a top three pick in 2021, I would believe you, particularly if you said that we had a highly reduced or no college basketball season at all. I actually think that works in his favor. Yeah, uh, like I don't have much new to say on this type of situation because it's really no different than the Jalen Green situation. Like whatever I said about Jalen yeah. Green joining the G League program, just go listen to that podcast. I think the exact same things um, uh, about Jonathan Kaminga. I do believe, though, that the that it becoming increasingly unlikely that we have a normal college basketball season and maybe no college basketball season, although I wouldn't bet that way, but it's certainly possible. Um, that makes this even more sensible. Like if you're not going to be able to play college basketball anyway, like why not just go take the money and train? Like you, you as opposed to enroll in school, take a English class. You're probably never going to use toward a graduation. Like, yo, I don't need any, like I'm willing to do college if I could play college basketball, but if we don't even know we're going to play college basketball, I'll just take, you know, go to Southern California, train all day, every day, and be ready for the 2021 NBA draft. So um, I don't know if this is sensible for everybody. Under these circumstances, it seems totally sensible to me. Agreed. Okay, so on that that note, let's let's discuss where we are right now. Because you've talked to people. I've had a story. You had a column. I understand that we're in the middle of July, Parish, and actually, I meant to mention this on last week's podcast. It's almost it's a bizarre experience in that, like, we should have just been coming home and finishing up our touches on like Peach Jam stuff. But it doesn't feel like Peach Jam should be here. I guess that's just the effect of the pandemic. Um, so we're about, you know, you know by, by the way, I had um, in my calendar. It was last Wednesday. 
Yes. And I still had Peach Jam. Did you really? Start. Yeah. So it popped up on like last Wednesday. I woke up and I had a like you know notification. It was like uh, flying to Augusta. And it's like I'm not not flying to Augusta. Like yeah. it's I'm I'm not flying anywhere ever yeah. again probably. I. I, I won't uh, slip too far down this alleyway, but if, if we get to next week and we're kind of dry on things to talk about, maybe we talk about a, a few good stuff from uh, from July recruiting stuff in years past because I think listeners might like that. But we'll see if the news dictates otherwise. Anyway, um, what I was uh, going way too slow in making a point was we're only halfway through the off season here. I get all that, the scheduled off season, But because you have had the situation with the Ivy League and now the Big Ten and now other conferences saying we're going to go conference only, we're going to wait to the end of the month, what was f- f- crazy was on last week's pod, I made the declaration. My prediction is you're going to have all these conferences go to conference only. We're going to hear it by the end of July. And then within an hour of the pod going to the feed, the Big Ten actually, that news came out, uh, which was wild here. So because of all of that, there's now been more with the college season. What are your thoughts on this? What are coaches saying? Lay it on me. Okay, so I wrote a column, I guess it was Monday night, and because uh, the Patriot League had already announced, obviously the Ivy League announced they're not having uh, you know, sports in the fall semester. So Ivy League basketball is not going to be played in, in November, and at least in December until the fall semester is done. Patriot League announced the same thing. And then on Monday night, the National Junior College Athletic Association, Monday afternoon, announced the same thing. Uh, They were even more specific, though. They said they will push basketball to January, push football to March if they can play it at all. So really, I just used that news hook to write a column to make some of the points that I wanted to make based on conversations I've been having with people who work in conference offices and, you know, college basketball coaches. And. The point, the main point I made is that it's becoming increasingly unlikely that we're going to have a season that starts on time and that features a full schedule of games. Um, and the reasons are reasons that I've made in the podcast. So I'll make them again, but like I'll keep it shorter. I'll try at least. Um, the, the main reason is, um, you know, th- uh, these uh, most power conference schools, non league schedules are by games. Like Louisville played 11 non-league games last season. Seven of them were by games. Well, the reason you create those games is because you can pay somebody $100,000 to come pay you, and then you make that part of your season ticket package. So a Louisville game against Eastern Kentucky at the Yum Center is one game in your season ticket package, just like a Duke game is and a Virginia game is and a North Carolina game is, and they all cost the same. If you're a Louisville fan, you want to buy season tickets, that ticket to the Eastern Kentucky game costs you just as much as the ticket to the Duke game um, at face value. So it's an easy way to spend, say, I don't know, anywhere from $65,000 to $130,000. Let's just call it $100,000. Easy way to spend $100,000 to make millions in return when you take into account season ticket sales, uh, parking, concessions, everything else. Well, if you can't have fans at games, uh, that, that's no longer a money maker. It's a money loser. So why do these schools want to play games that are money losers? Why do you want to pay $100,000 to not get any revenue back from ticket sales or concessions or parking. So you're not going to play it beyond that. And I've had many coaches bring this up to me, like, you know, a sec school is going to have the resources to test, 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 test. But a, you know, summit league school won't, you know, I talked to a low major coach this morning. He, he said, GP, there's just no scenario where we can test as much as the power conferences are going to test. We don't have that money. Mm-hmm. So what a power, what multiple power conference coaches have, have told me is, why would we test, 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 spend all of that money trying to do this as safe 
quickly as we can do it and then bring a team in from a mm. low major conference from from a from a low from a low conference uh, a, a lower conference right with less resources and we don't know when the last time those players were tested we don't know how often they've been tested like why would we do this our way and then put our kids on the court with those with those teams and the answer is we wouldn't it was a rhetorical question we're not going to do it so for those reasons it is looking increasingly unlikely that we're going to have a season that starts on time or non-league basketball games. What I am hearing as the most likely scenario is conference only schedules across the board. And that way every conference can implement um, testing protocols and enforce them because the NCAA doesn't have the power to do that. The ACC cannot say this is the way we're going to test and what we're going to do if somebody tests positive. So AAC, you need to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. They can't tell each other what to do. Like in major league baseball, the commissioner in, you know, after reaching agreement with the union can tell everybody what to do. Same thing in the NBA, same thing in the NFL. College athletics is not set up like that, but the big 10 is set up like that and the big 12 is set up like that so what i have been heard is a like while recognizing it's middle of july it, it, things could change but at this moment if you're being honest with the reality of this situation conference only schedules that start late that way if you're the big 10 or the sec or the pac-12 you can put in your testing protocols and then apply them consistently across the board everybody's held to the same standard and you can feel confident when you step on a court you know know exactly how often your opponent's been tested and how recently they've been tested. And at the, the question becomes, can you still do it outside of a bubble? And I don't know the answer to that. I don't think anybody knows the answer to that, but in a perfect world, that is what the power conferences would probably try to do. Honestly, exactly what they're trying to do in football. Exactly. Let's, play, let's play power. Let's play conference only schedules while traveling to each other's campuses. Will they be able to do it? I don't know, but that's the plan right now. And it seems like that will also be the plan for basketball. Listen, we don't love talking about this, but we are, it is an inevitability that pretty, that we're going to have to wind up talking about this as we get into August and then September, because this football, this is the only way that football can even be a pipe dream at this point. And for the very same reasons with largely the same people making these decisions, it's why basketball is, probably headed that way um but as of right now i mean i spoke with dan gavitt the vp of basketball for the ncaa he's in charge of running the ncaa tournament overseas the selection committee process all that stuff I, I spoke to him uh five days ago now i guess and i did ask him i said listen you are in a position where you have not just access to, but you are in engaged in practically daily conversations with some of the most important people in the NCAA and college athletics, from be it Mark Emmert and anyone else high up at the VP level within the NCAA to conference commissioners to athletic directors, high-ranking, high-profile ones that literally sit on the selection committee. And his his words to me were, right now, you know, we are in the middle of July, and conference commissioners and athletic directors are in no way positioning themselves i don't know if this is right or wrong gp but the the fact is they are they are they are saying we're dealing with all the fall stuff right now we're not right. even getting to winter sports and most predominantly men's and women's basketball the two uh, sports that can make any sort of money that are winter sports at the NCAA level. That's just not something that we're going to clear yet because we don't know what the situation in this country is going to look like in the middle of August, let alone when we're, uh, you know, trick-or-treating if that's even something that people can do. So um, so that's where we are right now. 
Obviously, I expect that to change. And once that does, we can have more conversations about what it means for college basketball next season and how teams, programs, hell, the NCAA tournament, the selection committee, there's a lot of stuff to get to, but that's that's weeks, if not months away. Uh, but I do tend to lean even on July 15th. And again, this is not what we want. Brian Curtis, who writes for The Ringer, had a really good story that went up Wednesday about just the the sense of sports coming back. Some leagues are, some leagues aren't. And and some of the public thinking that sports writers are like rooting against that. Oh, my God. You could not be. And most of our listenership isn't like this, but you could not be more off the mark with this. Like we need we are our livelihoods. We need sports to return. It has to happen here. College is the trickiest one because it's also a matter of public health. I mean, you had the director of the CDC say in the past 24 hours, Parrish, Robert Redfield, he said, and I'm going to paraphrase here because I don't have the direct quote up in front of me, but he's legitimately worried that this fall and winter will be the most drastic against the, the greater good of the American public health in the history of this country if we don't get this situation together. And if those... Uh, ominous words wind up becoming true, then yeah, from professional football, then easily down to the college ranks, playing games just is a very daunting task here. You got kids on campuses with universities and all of that stuff. So um, always keep that in mind when we dis- when we discuss these things. I do think the conference-only method is probably an inevitability, most specifically because the NCAA lacks the ability to have universal guidelines on testing for many pragmatic and practical reasons. So if you silo it to the conferences, at least you can try and go about it that way. But before we even, I mean, before we were even, could even get to that point, Parrish, of having those, we will know weeks, if not months before, whether we can have a season in general. Real quick, you had, I don't know if you referenced this or not, we talked about it offline. Um, you had a low major coach. Did he present to you yeah, a potential okay. scenario? So I, I, I talked to a low major coach this morning uh, because we were texting late last night. And then um, and then the text uh, continued this morning. And then he just hit me with a phone call. So we we're talking through all of this. And, and um, the point he made is that – and I should say this is a low major coach who has buy games with power conference schools, multiple. Like he needs the, page, the checks that come – with these games. And he said, listen, we're not playing those games. It's, it's July 15th. How different are we than we were on March 15th? Like maybe worse. He's like, so we need to. And I I thought this was interesting coming from him. He said, we need somebody to just go ahead and stand up and stay and put it into the nonsense. We're not playing those games. Now to your point, um, Conference commissioners are dealing with football right now. They'll get the basketball later. But his point is, like, listen, we already know. Like, I, us low-major, mid-major coaches, we, we talk. We already know. We're not playing these games against these high-major programs. He said, listen, the high-major programs might be able to do this outside of a bubble um, because they've got the resources to test, 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 test. Seems complicated, but they, if anybody can do it, they can do it. He said, we can't do it outside of a bubble. At the low major level, we don't have the money to test as often as they would want us to test, and it, it just it just won't work. But the point he made is the basketball tournament just worked in a bubble. Now, not without issues, but they started it and they completed it, and it of course ended with a Travis Diener three pointer. Shouts to Travis Diener, former Conference USA star. Anyway, so the low major coach is like, listen, um, they, 
they, they could play a bubble. So why can't we also try to play in a bubble? So here was his idea. He said, all of our campuses are sending students home at Thanksgiving because, you know, the university presidents have decided you don't want students going home for Thanksgiving to all over the country, you know, getting the virus, bringing it back to campus. Now you got a problem. So once you leave for Thanksgiving break, we'll see you in January. So he says, okay, so campuses are going to be empty. He said, we play through the Christmas holiday anyway, every year. So it's not like we can't play in the middle of, you know, in between semesters. We do college basketball is played in between semesters. He said, so here's my idea. Let's not start on time. We're going to play no league, uh, non-league games. And then we're going to send everybody to one of our campuses the day after Thanksgiving because students will be gone. The campuses should be mostly empty. That will that will be our pseudo bubble. All of our teams go to one campus. We quarantine for like seven days, 10 days, test, 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 start playing games, play every other day. He said, maybe we get in nine games or something. Then we break. Then we go back to our own campuses and then we go back into a bubble situation in late February, maybe play. His number was five more games. We got 14 league games in that is set our league standing. Somebody is conference champion. Then we, while in that bubble, play our conference tournament, and now we establish who's going to be our auto bid to the NCAA tournament. I don't hate it. I don't know if like our administrators were going for it, would go for it, but his point was we need to start thinking along these lines and stop pretending, oh, I'm sure it'll be fine, because it's not going to be fine. If you don't get creative, you're not playing, maybe at any level, but especially not at the low major level. All right, so I hadn't heard that plan until you just laid it on me now. I'm sure there's a relatively significant flaw in it, uh, a logistical one that's identifiable now, in addition to one that could surface down the road that it makes it uh, near impossible to do. But I don't hate it on its surface. Initially, one thought that came to mind is, okay, who gets the campus? There's a couple ways you could do it. One is you pick the campus that is – Obviously, one that might be best suited to host and house something like this. Another could be, we never had an NCAA tournament. This is the way you reward your regular season champion uh, from last season since they never got to play in the tournament. Another one is you might want to try and pick someone, uh, some campus that is the most geographically central and sensible to everyone in the league. So those are just a few questions that popped to mind. How about, how about this? Why not this? Just take the campus that is in a community that has the best numbers at the time. Another, obviously, yes, another uh, extremely smart idea to put on the table there. Um, you'd have to get everyone in the league willing to do so, and then you'd have to figure out uh, – it's probably some Cause, stuff. Because his fear was, he said, GP, they don't want us in this thing anyway. He said, so the second they mm-hmm. play and we don't, we're, we're done. We're not getting our auto bids back. He said, "We." He said, well, "If they're going to play, we got to play." I don't know if he's well, right about that. He's not. I, I, he's not because, and I'll just in, interject this because actually, this part never. Uh, I had a story go up in terms of what I talked about with Gavin last week, and then I had a column go up on Wednesday about how the committee's got to change some of its stuff. Please go read it because um, I think it's going to be relevant later in the year. But the one thing that I got from Gavin that I didn't include in either of those pieces is that the selection committee met virtually as it does every single year, uh, usually in person, in early July. And one of the things they did determine. Uh, to a certain extent, is we if we do have a tournament, every conference will be represented, and it's going to be up to the conferences to determine how they do it. But one thing we took away as a committee is 
no matter what way any league decides it wants to provide at least one representative from its league, if we have a tournament, every conference, no matter what, is going to be represented. So I understand the coach that you spoke to. I understand his cynicism, but I have an on-the-record response to that, which is uh, that's not going to be the case. If we have a tournament, all 32 leagues will play in that tournament, barring uh, utter catastrophe. I think his fear was if they are able to play at the high major level because they have the resources to test, 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 and, and, and maybe pull it off, and we just concede that we can't, so we don't even try to play a season. So we're just not we're not we don't have we're not we don't have teams. Like we don't have anybody to put in the NCAA tournament. He said once we once once they have an NCAA tournament without us, they're gonna be ready to have a whole bunch of NCAA tournaments without us. Again, I don't know if he's right. I just know that's in his head. Okay. So his, his so his point was let's figure out a way to have some sort of conference season, even if it's short, and let's figure out a way to have a conference tournament. Even if it's unusual, let's make sure we have somebody who will represent our league in the NCAA tournament, because this is another interesting point I thought he made. He said he had talked to, I'll just say, people who are higher up the ladder than him, because he's really somebody who's trying to think and and, and figure out if, if this is going to happen and how it, how it will happen. And he said, and I'd be interested to see if you got this impression from Dan Gabbitt when you talk to him, because what this coach said is, they're going to have a 2021 NCAA tournament one way or another. Like they, they, they cannot afford to not do it. And so he said he was told by somebody in a position of power, listen, if we have to actually create a bubble for the NCAA tournament, like if we have to go to an island, and I know this is extreme and hyperbole. Did not go. <laughs> I, 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 but the, the, the point the coach is trying to make is they'll do whatever they got to do to get this thing on TV. And so the, the you know, what the, the impression the coach was left with was if they have to go to, if they figure out trying to play a 68 team tournament without a bubble is just not practical, they will create a bubble for the NCAA tournament. And, you know, it, it, it's, you know, we all understand how the tournament works. The, the, the point the coach made was listen, after, after four days, you get rid of all but 16 teams. So you cut the numbers right. really drastically, really quickly. And like again, in a perfect world, we'll have a vaccine by then and we'll we'll play the NCAA tournament in a dome with 80,000 people. But short of that, if they have to do it in a bubble, this coach was left with the impression that they will do it. They will build a bubble for a tournament before they don't have a tournament. And given that we know that the basketball tournament just happened in a bubble. Mm-hmm. MLS is currently happening in a bubble. The NBA is presumably going to happen in a bubble. They think they could pull that off as a worst-case scenario, and they're willing to do it. Okay, a few things. Um, one, obviously I asked Dan Gavitt if he is in relatively frequent communication with high-ranking NBA personnel. Um, and he said, not on an everyday basis. Obviously, he and so many others in the NCAA are following what the NBA is doing on a daily basis, and he is in some kind of communication. And if the uh, scenario that this coach has posed to you in terms of an NCAA tournament bubble is something of a distant, realistic possibility, obviously what the NBA can and can't do is going to dictate a lot of the optimism about whether the NCAA can do it. There are issues beyond that, um, that we shouldn't even really get into at this point uh, because the, just it's just way, way, way too thorny. Um, I did talk to Gavitt about the tournament 
and hopes that it can be held and contingencies. And one of his, you know, primary talking points was, I promise you this, if basketball is safely being played anywhere in this country in the year 2021, we will have an NCAA tournament. So I think that's as aggressive as an on-the-record statement in the middle of July as you could possibly expect to get out of Dan Gavitt that might lean in on what you're referencing there. But there's, there are so many bridges to cross before we can get to that kind of point. Uh, what can't be overstated is how critical holding a men's Division I NCAA tournament is to the welfare and well-being of college programs across the country. College football obviously means a ton. We wait and see on how many games can be done there. But from a television package standpoint, when you look at the size of, uh, of what the NCAA receives to have its tournament aired on CBS and Turner's networks, it is humongous. So I do believe that if it is, if they can do it and it is – safe and in a bubble situation i do believe they would try and pull that off but there's a lot of stuff that you know we'll get in a future podcast but uh, that is an interesting concept and if we were to get to that point the questions that pop to mind is okay would they have would they go to 32 to be safer get all leagues in because i do believe that the committee would prefer i believe this and a lot of people might disagree but having spoken to people on the committee years past i believe that if you gave the committee two options and they won't just have two options but to get to what the coaches may be uh, cynical about 32 teams and it's every one representative from every league or if it's 24 teams and it's at, you know tw- and they're basically all power conference programs the NCAA would absolutely prefer the 32 team option because those members still carry a lot of collective influence and so if you're a fan of a small school or coaches a small school if we got to that kind of point I tend to believe that the smaller leagues would still be represented in that tournament that's also based on conversation I had with Gavitt last week last question for you yes or no you will cover a college basketball game before 2021 as in go to a game in person how about this you'll write about one You'll write about something that happens in a college basketball game before January 1st, 2021. I'm, you know what? I'm going to say yes right now. I really want it because I really want it to happen, man. July get, On July 15th, allow me to say yes, okay? Like, ask me again in a month, and we'll see where we're at. But I, I think there is still a possibility, particularly when – when you've got a lot, I don't know where we're going to want to this, but when you've got a lot of schools that are so geographically close that might be able to theoretically pull something off if they can get testing done if and do something kind of in the 11th hour. So, yes, I will say yes right now. I have a feeling you're going to say no, though. I, I, I'm i not optimistic. I'll put it that way. And you touched on this earlier, and I'll add to it, and then we'll get out of here. Um, it does get frustrating when I hear people, because I get these tweets, Um, say I'm rooting for the virus or rooting against sports. Like, are you out of your mind? Like I make a nice living completely tied to sports. Like, you know, if you're a carpet salesman right now, you don't really need sports back to, to sell carpet. Like, you know, people are going to need carpet, whether there's a basketball game or not. And like, if you're an attorney, you don't need sports back uh, to have cases to take. Like, you know, people still going to be breaking the law every day. Um, we need sports like our jobs, careers, livelihood are directly tied to sports. I don't want to say nobody's rooting harder for sports than I am, 
but like I got to be up there pretty good, you know, because my my life in some ways, in lots of ways, depend on sports being, um, you know, sports happening as soon as possible. Um, I just also not going to be dumb about this. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just not going to lie. You know, I I guess I could jump on Twitter every day and say, well, really looking forward to that. Uh, the Champions Classic, but like, I don't think. The no, Champions actually, Classic. I want you to do that. Can you, can you just uh, pull from Rothstein and starting tomorrow, whenever you get up, whatever moment it is, and just uh, say, you know, I don't know how long it is at this point. 103 days until Champions Classic tips off. Hashtag <laughs> yeah. countdown. Can we get that from you, please? Can we actually sincerely? Can you just tweet it once tomorrow? Can you I, just do it out of nowhere? I I promised myself a long time ago. <laughs> I will. I. I no, the answer is no. Hashtag countdown. <laughs> I, I'll just I'll just keep it simple. The answer is no. Um, I, like I don't think the Champions Classic is going to be played, and so um, I'm certainly not ruling it out. I don't speak in absolutes about unknowns in the future, but I think it's unlikely at this point. Um, so I, God, I'd love to be at the Champions Classic. I'd love to just watch it on TV if I couldn't be there. But I'm not optimistic because, like, the numbers are spiking all over this country in more than half of our states. Um, you know, people aren't wearing masks as much as they should, doing the other things that doctors have told us is necessary to try to get this virus under control. Um, so, uh, you know, th- there's not a lot of good news out there right now, other than earlier this week, Dr. Fauci did say um, a vaccine here in the United States is going well. We're not there yet but it's going well so far. So that's encouraging, but going well so far doesn't mean it's going to be here in time for the champions classic. So um, I, I'm, I'm obviously pessimistic for obvious reasons, but um, don't ever confuse that with, I don't want sports or I don't want basketball or I'm rooting for the virus. That's just absolutely insane to think. Um, it just, you know, anything I say about this is just, it's, it's because it's what I believe to be the truth. You know, when I say I don't think there's going to be non-league basketball games, it's not because I don't want them. It's because I actually, based on the data available and the conversations I'm having with people in the sport, it's because I don't believe it's going to happen. But I promise you, I'd love to be wrong. And I am somebody who loves to be right all the time. But on this, I would pay a significant amount of money to actually be wrong. I uh, listen. I know you want to wrap here. I refuse to let this podcast conclude without including hmm. one more other small piece of good news. We can't had this. Actually, it's not small. It's, it's humongous, and it also ties into how badly we need a season next season. You know what I'm referring to, of course, right? I do. I mean, we have reached a point. Uh, it's taken billions of years to get here, but DePaul. Mm-hmm. There, there is a player named Paulie. Paulie Cap, who's going to play for DePaul? Well, he's going to at least he's going to enroll at DePaul. We need, I can't tell you how badly we need a season. I, I need a season. I need Paulie Paulie Cap in a DePaul uniform, and I need DePaul in the 2021 Final Four. Okay. The only the only thing that would be better than that is if John Calipari ever coached Cal. <laughs> would that be great? <laughs> he would be Coach Cal at Cal. How good would that be? That's good. How many coaches does that apply to? Anyone else that would work for? Uh, oh, man, is there a, there's got to be is there a, a co- is there a coach is there a head coach with the last name Washington? That's a question. I don't think there is. 
I don't know. There's got to be a butler, somebody in coaching, mm. somebody butler. That's a good, good question there. But regardless, Polly <laughs> Polycap out of Manhattan, 10.4 boards, six or 10.4 points, 6.6 boards a season ago, shot 49.4% from the field. I I don't know if DePaul was the best fit for this for this young man or not. I don't care. He's self-aware enough to know that he was born Polly Polycap, and hell yeah, he's a grad transfer. He's going to DePaul, immediately eligible. Huge news this week. Can't wait to shout this guy out. I don't care if there's a season or not. He's getting shouted out at random without any sort of advance warning on this podcast for the next nine months. Shouts to you, Polly Polycap. It's not like we've never spent a November or a December podcast opening on the DePaul Blue Demons. Uh, that, you're absolutely right. We could be going for that two straight Novembers in a row here. Polly Polycap coming to Chi-Town. Love it. And I would I would kill for that right now. So, mm. uh, so let's all keep our fingers crossed. Fingers crossed and our mask on. Keep your fingers crossed and keep your mask on. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF, and Teagle. Legend. Shouts to Larnell. Please go subscribe to the Eye on College Basketball Podcast wherever you subscribe to podcasts. I'd appreciate it. Norlander would appreciate it. Do that. And we will talk to you again real soon. Till then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.